All right, Ephesians tonight in chapter 4. Let's go back again to Ephesians chapter 4. What in the world does a happy Christian family look like anyway? Man, I'm glad you're here tonight. It's been a great day and enjoyed the services today. Enjoyed fellowshipping with you. Enjoyed being with Pastor again. I was able to go to lunch today with Pastor and just always love being around him. Pastor has an excellent spirit and it's a great family and what a blessing to be here. I had no idea he could sing. And he sang this morning. Wasn't that cool? That's just really great. I think he should sing again, don't you? A solo. That'd be great. And uh, really good, Pastor. you got a great voice. And the men's quartet, something special about a men's quartet in there. As everybody likes a men's quartet. That was great. The mixed quartet was great. We started tonight. You know that song, Brethren, We Have Met to Worship. That's, uh, that's one of those songs for me. You know how a song can remind you of things? Uh, That takes me all the way back to the mountains of East Tennessee where I grew up. And I just want you to know when they sang it, it scared you silly. And it's a truth, man. Those mountain people, they sang it slow and mournful. Uh, Our fathers and our mothers going down. And oh my word, when I was a little boy, it scared me to death. I I, I felt like God is coming right now and I'm going to be in trouble. And uh, that song always revokes those feelings because the way those Southern folks sang it was such emotion. And those Southerners, they do sing differently, you know. They do. They sing slow and just so mournful. It's just so sad. My daddy loves that song. His favorite song is Farther Along. Y'all know that old hymn? Farther Along. We'll know all about it. It takes them three years to sing it. Because <laughs> they're like, Farther Along we it just goes on and on and on. And like, don't worry, I'm not going to sing. So y'all are good. But uh, wow, I love it. Just had a great day and a great weather. Don't y'all love this weather? This is like Florida. This is how it was in the Garden of Eden, people. And, uh, and that's the truth. I can tell you it was not cold in the Garden of Eden. And I can prove it. Because they didn't have any clothes on people. It, it had to be warm. I just said, and I didn't go to seminary to learn that. But I, I figured that one out on my own. So this warm, this is like the Garden of Eden. You're like right up there where you're supposed to be spiritually. So this is going to be a good week. It's warm. It's beautiful. And you get to hear Dave Young. Isn't this exciting? <laughs> That'll help your prayer life. Goodness, goodness, goodness. I'm sorry my wife's not here. Uh, she's, uh, she's my girlfriend, you know, and my best friend and my favorite person in all the world. And I'm so thankful for her. Just uh, what a blessing. God's given us a wonderful 23 years almost 24 here in two months. And God's been so good. I have great children. They're growing in the Lord. We're still working on them. We haven't arrived. We're not perfect. But we sure are praying and fervently seeking the Lord and working diligently because we sure do want to have a successful family. I want to be a good evangelist. But more important than that, I want to be a good husband and a good daddy. And uh, someday, Lord willing, a good grandfather. And my kids have started teasing me that they're going to call me Poppy when we have grandkids. And I have drawn the line and said, no, you are not. I am grandfather. And so I don't know who will win that one, but I'm pulling for it hard. The grandfather. Doesn't that just sound, you know, astute and, and you know, right up there. But I'm so excited to serve the Lord. And I'm so excited to serve the Lord with you. Aren't you glad Micah has your children? Isn't that great? And he does a great job. Micah is one of the best evangelists I've ever met. Uh, he just, he's a quiet young man. He doesn't say much and he's shy, but the man can preach and he sees hundreds saved. 
and, and just around the world. God's really using him. He'll be in Brazil here in a few weeks and then in Malawi and, and then later in India this year and just sees tons of people saved. And I'm so thrilled he's on the team and I'm thrilled he's preaching to your boys and girls. I know he, he takes it seriously. He'll be praying for them and asking the Lord to bless them and work in their heart and use them. And so uh, you, uh, you be praying for him as well and bring folks with you and let's expect the Lord to do some great things. Okay, are you there? Ephesians 4, verse 1 again, are you there? Uh, the Bible says these words, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. The therefore, you know, reminds us of these first three chapters. Paul's been talking to us about being saved. How many of you know for sure you're saved? Is that a certainty in your heart? Is that, is that a confidence in your life? Do you know that for sure? Or do you just say that because you're supposed to? Is it a real certainty in your heart that Jesus Christ is your Savior, that you've trusted Him, that you've put your faith in Him, that He has forgiven your sins and given to you eternal life? If that's not a certainty in your heart, then that's something you ought to pursue settling. You ought to pray about it. You ought to get help about it. You ought to get counsel. And, and never be ashamed of that. Never, ever be ashamed to settle it. Uh, if, you're, if you're struggling, am I saved? I, I think so. And there's some doubts or concerns or questions. Then one of two things would have to be true. Either you haven't yet trusted Christ and the Spirit of God is working in your heart about that. Or you have trusted Jesus Christ, but you don't fully understand what the Bible teaches about how to know that. But either one of those is a valid spiritual matter for which you can get help. Because if you're not saved, God wants you to be saved. Even if people have thought you've been saved for years, but down in your heart, you know that you have not trusted in Christ to be your Savior, then you ought to settle it. I was preaching in Missouri several years ago, and on a Sunday morning service, in my heart, I was given the gospel. The whole message was about the gospel, and I sensed in my spirit, there was a guy there, and just the Spirit of God seemed to be drawing my attention to that man. It doesn't happen that way often, but it just seemed like the Spirit of God was pointing to that man in my heart. That's the man that needs to be saved. That man, that's the man you're preaching to. And I got done preaching, and when I gave the invitation, he raised his hand that he was saved. And I thought, well, I guess I missed that somehow, and just went on with the service. Several others got saved Sunday morning, prayed to be saved, trusted Christ. The man did not come back Sunday night. He wasn't back Monday night. He wasn't back Tuesday night. And literally on Wednesday night, I was preaching almost the same sermon because Sunday morning was a gospel service and Wednesday night was a gospel service. That's how they'd advertised it. And they had a lot of guests. And so the gospel's the gospel. So I'm preaching pretty much the same truth, same idea, same message. And he was back Wednesday night. And again, the spirit of God seemed to be speaking to my heart. That's the man. I'm, I'm wanting that man to be saved. It was a great service. When I gave the invitation, there was a couple up front. They were guests, and they, they both prayed to be saved. There were some teenagers, three or four teenagers. They got saved. And it wasn't a big building, probably a third of the size of yours. It was packed. It was full. But we had people just saved all over the building. And that man, that man, when I gave the invitation, didn't respond. But I just, people were praying, you know, and so others were getting saved. There was counseling happening right there in the room. And so... I uh, kept the invitation. Let's do another verse while we're waiting. Let's do one more verse. And I saw that older man say something to his spouse, his wife. And I'll never forget this. She looked up at him and she nodded and she pushed him out into the aisle. And he was an older man. He kind of stumbled, you know, and he, he got out in the aisle and, and stated himself and he moved slowly, started coming down the aisle. And the service was almost over. We were, you know, it was almost too long even now. So I said to the pastor, I grabbed him and I said, Brother Bob, uh, that, that older man... Uh, 
meet him back there. Go meet him. And, and so pastor went back and here's what the old man said. He said, you know, I joined your church three years ago and you asked me if I were saved. And I said, yes, I am. Because years ago I was in a service and they said, if you want to go to heaven, you got to get baptized. And I went and got baptized. And he said, therefore, I thought I was saved. Got baptized. I was taught baptism washes away your sins. So I got under the water. My sins were washed away. I'm going to heaven. And he said, I joined your church. That's what I thought you meant when you said, are you saved? And I told you, you know, about me getting saved in that service. But what happened was I got baptized. And he said, your preacher's here preaching Sunday morning. And he said, that won't wash away your sins. You have to believe in Jesus for that. You have to trust in Jesus for that. You have to be born again through Jesus. And he said, I got mad. So I didn't come back Sunday night. Now I'm going to go here, preacher, tell me I'm not saved when I am. And he said, I drove the combine all day Monday in the wheat field. And he said, you know, all day in the combine, the Spirit of God said to me through the Word of God working in my heart, preacher's right, that preacher's right. You know what the Bible says there, don't you? See, that's what the Bible means. And he said, I got mad and wouldn't come Monday night. And I did all day in the combine Tuesday. And all day Wednesday, he said, this afternoon, I parked the combine and I said, okay, God, then I'm going to go tonight. And if, if you really can show me tonight that I'm really not saved, he said, I'll get saved. And he said, he preached the same sermon again tonight. And I know that I've never trusted Christ. I've been in church a long time, but I never put my faith in Christ. See, that's what Paul's talking about in Ephesians here in these first three chapters. Salvation's by grace, through faith. It's not of yourself. It's a gift of God. It's not of works. But anybody can be saved through Jesus. You believe that? He paid it all, didn't he? In that glorious, that shouting run, isn't it? He washed away our sins. He died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised from the dead. That's what the Bible teaches. And no matter who you are tonight, no matter what your background is, you need Christ in your life if you're going to go to heaven. And you've got to be born again through Jesus. You've got to trust in Jesus. You've got to look to Jesus. And so Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 4, Now that you're saved, now I therefore, now that you're saved, I'm the prisoner of the Lord, and I'm beseeching you to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. Now I don't want to belabor this point, but Paul Paul's called you to live the Christian life. You're to grow. You're to mature. You're to learn the Bible. You're to learn how to be what God wants you to be. You got some rough edges, then you ought to be growing about those rough edges. Remember I told you this morning that my dad was an angry man? You remember that? How many of you heard that this morning, did you? Man, what a temper that man had. But he started growing in the Lord. You wouldn't know it now. He's in his 70s. He's gentle. My kids, I tell stories about Papa's temper. My kids don't even believe it. No, there's no way. Because the man they know is a man who is now walking worthy of the vocation wherewith he was called. That doesn't happen like this. That doesn't happen like this. That happens when you allow the word of God to start entering your heart and your mind and you renew your mind through the word of God and you start growing and becoming what God wants you to be. And all of us got to do it. We got to grow. And so God's called us to live the Christian life. That's one of your callings. And he's called you to have a godly home. That's one of the callings in your life. And then in verse 17, he continues the thought. Remember this morning? This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. Did you see that play on words there? In verse 1, he said, walk worthy. In verse 17, he says, walk not. Don't walk like this. Don't, don't live like the world lives. You're a child of God now, Trinity Baptist Church. You're on your way to heaven. 
So don't walk like the world lives. They're living in ignorance. They don't know the Bible. They don't know how to be what they ought to be. They don't know how to mature. They don't know how to overcome the sin of their life. But you do. You got a Bible. You got a church. You got the Spirit of God. You can grow in the Lord. And there's an Almighty God in heaven on your side that wants to grow you and mature you and help you to be right and help your home to be right. So don't walk like the Gentiles walk. We got to walk differently than that. And you get down here, I'm skipping for sake of time. In verse 22, put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Now, here's what I'm doing. I'm taking chapter four and five for a few days here and I'm applying these verses to our Christian life and to our Christian home. So if you were in Sunday school, what does a happy Christian home look like? It's a place of humility, gentleness, patience, love, and peace. How many of you remember that? You remember that? That's a good one, isn't it? That's good. That's good. That's helpful. This morning in the service, we were in verse 25. It's a place of honesty. It's a place in verse 26 and 27. It's a place without anger. And in verse 29, it's a place of edification. Now tonight, tonight, by the way, there's mine. There's my home that I'm working on. That's our latest family portrait. Mother's Day, that was Mother's Day. So that's that's my, that's who I'm working on. Those those are my responsibility. Uh, That's my marriage. Those are my youngsters. And uh, I call them my youngins because I'm Dave Young. Those are the youngins. Thought we ought to start a singing group and call ourselves Dave Young and the Youngins, but it never happened. But here's what we're going to learn tonight. A happy Christian home is a place that speaks grace. Now look again at the verse we stopped with this morning. Look at verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Do you remember this morning's illustration? Somebody have to get me another knife here in a moment. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister, say the word, grace unto the hearers. A happy Christian home is a place that ministers grace. Now, I'm going back to that because one of the most important things you can learn about Christianity is that Christianity is supposed to affect your tongue. Now, we can overlook that, can't we? Well, that's just how I am. I tell it like it is. I, 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 that's how I am. I, I tend to be on the harsh side. That's me. But my tongue is to minister grace. And nowhere is that more important than in a family. Are you married? How many of you are married tonight? Raise your hand. Good night. If you're married, you know what you've got to learn how to do? If you're going to have a, a, a wonderful marriage, you've got to minister grace. In other words, there's going to come problems in your marriage. There's going to come situations in your marriage. There's going to be ups and downs and ins and outs and all kinds of situations that you'll face in a marriage. And what the Bible's telling us here is we're not to tear down. We're not to belittle. We're not to rip on each other. We're to edify. That means build up. And we're to minister grace. By the way, the way you minister grace is with your speech. We're a generation that is failing because we no longer use our tongue to edify and to minister grace. Sometimes we don't say anything to each other. You know what I read the other day? I read that the average dad and mom in the United States of America in this generation talk to their children on average seven, seven 
seconds a day. That can't be, can it? Now, I got thinking about it, though. You ever gone to a restaurant and watch families eat? I was at a restaurant the other day, and uh, Micah and uh, my boys and I were eating at a restaurant. We were traveling. We stopped together, and we were sitting in the waiting room across. We're waiting on our table, and there's a family across from us like this. And uh, the entire family, the entire time we were waiting to be seated, sat like this. Not one word was spoken to each other. The husband and wife, the children. I watched the family go sit at a table. They ordered food. I want to tell you, it's impossible to have a Christian home without exercising the gift God gave to you called your voice. Husbands, you're to minister to your wife. Grace. How do you do that? You speak. Ministering grace sounds like this. Hey, sweetheart, you're absolutely beautiful. Baby doll, you're gorgeous. I love those blue eyes. I could dive in those blue eyes of yours and swim forever. (laughs) Write that down. That's a good line, people. (laughs) That's good. That's good right there. One guy said to me a few weeks ago, he said, Brother, I tried that line of yours and she got mad. He said, because she has brown eyes. (laughs) Well, duh. You know, use a little common sense there. Ministering grace is like this. The other day I was home and I was working. I had a lot to get done. I was busy and, and I was just in and out. And there were several things that were broken and needed to be repaired and just some stuff to get done. And, uh, and I was on the go, man. I was trying to, I was, I, I'm, a, I'm a check off the list person. How many of y'all like it? Anybody write stuff down, check it off. Check. I love lists. I'm so bad. I'll write things down I've already done just to check them off. And, uh. So I had my list, man. I'm going, I'm on the go. I'm checking it off. I'm checking it off. And I went dashing into the house to grab a tool or a flashlight or something. My wife was doing dishes and uh, she said, hey, honey. And I stopped and I looked at her and she said, I just wanted to tell you that I really appreciate all that you do when you're home. And I, I know that there's a ton to be done and but I really appreciate how you make the yard look good and you take care of things on the car. I just want you to know that I'm thankful for it. Now, I'll tell you what happened right there. She ministered grace. Do you minister grace to your children? When's the last time you found a reason to praise your 13-year-old? That he's 13, Brother Young. I know. But he's a person. Do you ever minister Grace. Do you look for reasons to praise? I uh, was very proud of my son this morning. Our church has started a van ministry. And uh, we've been bringing in some pretty rough kids. They don't dress like everybody else dress. They don't know the hymns. They don't know how to behave in church necessarily. But I'm sure proud this morning that, that one of the bus kids was on the front row of our church. My wife took a picture and sent it to me. Because my one son talked him into coming up and sitting with the family. The front row. Now, I haven't had a chance yet to talk to him, but I'll call him tonight. And I'm going to, I got it written down. I'm going to minister some grace to that son of mine. I'm going to tell him I'm proud of him. Proud of you, son. So does I have to get on to him? He's got a, 
he's a little bit of a prophet. You know what I mean? But that's kind of his spiritual gift. And he hasn't learned how to have discernment with it yet. And he'll just unload on you. And I mean, he'll call you out on the least little thing. And, and sometimes I'm like, would you just leave me alone, kid? I mean, he can be tough. He really can. But he got that one right. Someone minister grace. A happy Christian home is a place that speaks grace. It's like, it's like a, a, how many of you love bread? You love fresh, baked, homemade bread. Raise your hand. Anybody here like that? It's to die for, isn't it? It's one of my, it's why I jog. I'm trying to cut carbs. So I ate some bread the day at lunch and, and I, I'm trying to, trying to be healthier, had a little blood pressure issue. And so I'm trying to lose a little bit of weight and, and, and be a little healthier. But I, bread's my weakness. I jog so I can eat bread, okay? I'm serious. Why run? It's why I run. I, I love bread. I used to work at uh, Summit Pensacola Christian College where Pastor and I went to college. And, and uh, one time I was on the board there. And uh, when I was on the board of directors there, I had to, uh, forgive me, I had to hobnob with the big dogs. And I'm not a big dog. I'm, I'm a country boy from Tennessee. And when you are in a place like that with the big dogs, there's all these rules and etiquette and, you know, and, 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 and you know, you got you to gotta live by all of these little standards they have. And eating at a meal is hard because, you know, we always had to wear a suit and tie to a meal with these people. And, and so you're dressed up at every meal and, and everything's protocol. You got to sit here and you sit by, by, you know, your position at all these meals. And, and, uh, and the people, the people we're eating with, they're, they're dear friends of mine, but they're a little high class. And I, I'm a mountain kid from Tennessee. The way we ate when I was a boy, you don't talk during a meal, you dig in. That's how we ate. You dig in. And if there's bread, you eat it all. You don't leave bread. You eat it all. If there's one more piece there, somebody eat it because you don't leave it. You don't waste food. You eat it. And, uh, and that's how I was. And, and so I'd go eat with uh, the Hortons, were their names. And uh, th- where they would feed us in this fancy little dining room they have, they, they baked this homemade yeast rolls. That when you would step into the dining room, you could smell that aroma. And I mean, honestly, you would just start salivating because they just, the smell of it alone was enough to get you going. And here's what they would do. You know what they would do? They would give you one. Now, I'm not bitter. I'm just sharing my heart, okay? <laughs> just, just sharing my heart with you. They gave you one tiny little yeast roll that was absolutely fresh, baked, soft, yummy. And, and, and you couldn't eat it. You had to, you had to. Eat, eat it in tiny little bites because they're talking to you the whole time. So when you're eating a meal like that, you tear off a little piece and you take a little tiny bite so you can answer real fast the questions. And I just want you to know it's awkward. I mean, I love the people and I thank God for them and they're dear friends of mine, but eating with them was just, just tough. And sometimes during the meal, you know what happened? They'd have this person in a tuxedo that was waiting on you, serving you, and they would come out of the kitchen carrying a platter of those rolls. And they would come by your table during the conversation. They'd say something like this in a whisper. Would you like another roll? Would I like another roll? No, I want the whole platter, okay? Now, here's here's a major failure in a lot of homes. We know that we ought to minister grace. Most of us understand that. We ought to be encouraging. We ought to be a blessing. We ought to be thankful. We ought to build up and, and strengthen people. But here's how we minister grace. We'll give you one. Okay, I'll give you one. But you cross the line, I'm done with you. I'll roll my eyes inside, but I will not minister grace. I will huff and puff. 
And I will clam up and get silent and I'll give you the silent treatment, but I will not minister grace. And I'm telling you, you will never have a Christian home until you learn to lavish grace. And you just minister. You say things like, thank you. I love you. Praise God for you. You're doing a great job there. Can I help you with this? Let me help you there. You know, a lot of parents in our generation are so absolutely bothered. My kid doesn't know how to do nothing. And I don't mean this to be mean. The reason our kids don't know how to do nothing is because we haven't taught them to do anything. You got to minister grace. You got to teach your children. You got to open your mouth. You got to show them. You got to speak to them. You got to communicate with them. And so the Bible wants you to know that a happy Christian home is a place where grace is spoken. Am I making sense tonight with this one? Are y'all with me on that one? Now look at the next verse. Look at the next verse because I love the next one. This is absolutely great. Look at verse, look at verse 30. All right. I'm sorry, verse 31. He says, let all bitterness and wrath, and anger, and clamor, and evil speaking, but be put away from you with all malice. So I thought, okay, now there's a verse with a ton of stuff in it, so how can I sum it up in one statement? And here's the statement I came up with. You ready for this? A happy Christian home is a place without issues. Um, Nobody here but us tonight. Smile at somebody near you, okay? Smile at somebody near you. Go ahead. Nobody here but us. Smile at somebody near you and speak after me. Y'all ready? All right. Smile at somebody and say, hey. No, no, we'll be here all night if you don't help me. Smile at somebody and say, hey. And tell them, say, you got issues. It's the truth, isn't it? How many of you are aware that the person beside you sometimes has issues? Are, are Are you aware of that? Sure, some of you. Well, of course, I'm married to him. He's the issue. We all have issues, don't we? You know what the Bible's trying to say in this one verse? That a happy Christian home is a place where issues are being dealt with. And look look what he lists. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, and malice. Uh, I tried to define them for you just to make it quicker. Bitterness in the Greek language is acid or poison. Bitterness. Somebody said that bitterness is drinking poison in hopes that it will kill the person you're mad at. That's bitterness. Bitterness shows up in two ways. Number one, it shows up as a bad taste. Does that make sense? And number two, it shows up as blame. Bitterness is when I find myself like this. God, why would you do that? Why would they do that to me? Who do they think they are? Blame. That's how I know I'm bitter when my life is filled with blame. I'm blaming. I got this problem. I'm blaming you for it. And I don't like what you did to me. I'm blaming you for that. And I'm blaming you for that. And it's a bad taste. The best way I know how to illustrate that is a a story of a friend of mine. Uh, He is a pastor and recently a few months ago, back in flu season, uh, he, he lives here in the north and he was getting ready to go to the airport, catch a plane and go somewhere to preach. His wife is a health food nut. And, and I mean, all the way. The lady is over the top. She will tell you what you should not eat, should not drink, should not think. I mean, she's got it down to a science. You do this, you'll be healthy. And her husband, my friend, was leaving the house and she ran up to him, gave him a kiss and, and she said... Uh, Honey, it's flu season. You're going to be on that airplane with a bunch of sick people probably. 
So she said, here's a vitamin. Put this in your pocket. When you get on the plane, take this vitamin. Get yourself your immune system built up. So he said, took the vitamin, stuck it in my pocket. Stopped at a store on my way to the airport. And as I was leaving the store, I saw one of those little machines where you put in a quarter, turn the dial, and you can get chiclets. Those little pieces of gum. And he thought, you know what? I'm going to get on the plane, sit by somebody, and maybe talk to him about Jesus. And, and so I ought to have good breath. So he, he had a quarter. He grabbed his quarter, put it in there, just grabbed those little thing of chiclets, just a tiny little handful, and stuck them in his pocket too. Got to the airport, checked in, went through security, got in line with his boarding pass to get on the plane and thought, oh, I better, better chew the gum so I can, you know, not offend people with my breath if I talk to them about Jesus. So he reached in his pocket, pulled out his chiclets and a vitamin and put it in and chewed it. Have you ever chewed a vitamin? Now, if you have, and I got some in my room right here at the prophet's chamber, I'll be glad to show you. You know about a bad taste. He said, I chewed that, I started chewing those chiclets, and all of a sudden I bit down on that vitamin. And the, the, it's a horrible taste. You can't get it out of your mouth now. Now, it's, you know, he said, I spent the whole rest of the day tasting that dumb vitamin. That's how bitterness is. It's a bad taste. There's a situation in your life or in your past or somebody did to you or your husband said or your wife did or this happened with your parents or your son or daughter is done and that bad taste is lingering and it comes up and man, it just, it leaves you with that bad taste. That's bitterness. It's acid. It's poison. The word wrath, it, it means fierceness and one of the ideas is breathing hard. Have you ever seen a person with that kind of an issue to where their whole life they are easily on edge and they don't necessarily blow up. They may not let it all out, but they're breathing hard. You've seen that, haven't you? That's wrath. It's wrong. It's an issue in some people's lives. Anger is violent passion. The Bible says if your inner issue is bitterness, you've got to take care of that. It'll hurt your Christian life and hurt your Christian home. If it's wrath, you may not blow up. You may not throw things, kick things, yell. But you, I mean, you get tight and you get tense and you breathe hard. He said, you better take care of that issue. If it's anger, you blow it up. I mean, you blow it up. You let it out. You, you let it all out. My grandmother, when I was a kid, my granny, she got so mad one day at a jar of sauerkraut. Quart jar, can. I mean, under pressure. She couldn't get the lid off. She's trying. I'm at the table with my papa. She couldn't get the lid off. She reached over and grabbed a butcher knife and put through the lid. I'll ne- as a boy, but I'll never forget it. Because she goes, uh-uh, uh, just boom. I had no idea that canned goods had so much pressure. Because when she put that butcher knife through that lid, it blew up. It's one of the coolest things I'd ever seen. Because sauerkraut, I was a little boy, and I was like, sauerkraut hit the ceiling. I was like, boosh. And man, it went all over the kitchen. And I, I was, my granny, I can still remember this. She had the, the, she had the sauerkraut broken jar in this head, a butcher knife in this head, and sauerkraut dripping off the end of her nose. And of course, my grandfather, Papa, Granny was six foot two, two eighty. Papa was five four, one forty. She looked like this pulpit. He looked like that microphone right there. 
I mean, they were the they were the funniest couple. And he didn't say a word because she had that butcher knife. She, he, he didn't say a word. She cleaned it up. She is, you know, you know, she's cleaning up. She threw it away and she's brushing off the knife and she got it all done. Went back to cooking. And I'll never forget, Papaw, he patted me. Leaned over and kind of quietly, he said, well, I guess she won't do that again. <laughs> now, some of you, some of you don't breathe hard. You don't, you know, it's not like a simmering thing with you. It's violent. You blow up. You blow up, let it all out. That's the word anger. Clamor is outcrying, tumult. It's, uh, it's, it's, just, it's just raising your voice. Ra- raise your, just, just, I've had it. You raise your voice at your kids. I've had it. I've had it with you. Stop it. Listen to me. We fight. We yell at each other. That's an issue that we've got to deal with. Evil speaking is railing again. Evil speaking shows up in things like this. You are so stupid. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Why don't you just shut up? You hear parents and kids talk like that and husbands and wives to each other. That's evil speaking. Malice is a unique word because Paul is writing about issues and he says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you. Then it's like an afterthought almost. He adds, with all evil, wickedness, malice. It's almost like, here's what he's saying. You ready for this? He's like, he says, uh, you know, like bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor and evil speaking. Oh, and by the way, Uh, whatever yours is. So your issue may not be one of these on the screen. Maybe you got an entirely different issue. So Paul throws in the word malice because he wants you to deal with your issue too. It, It may be something as silly as a preconceived notion. Maybe you came into the marriage with an expectation that has never been met. And you're bothered that that expectation was never met. You had a preconceived notion. And that's popular today. I saw a bumper sticker one time that said, all men are idiots and I married their king. And I thought, well, that's a real blessed marriage. Wouldn't you like to meet her? But some men, some men are just as bad the other way. Some men are like, I'm telling you right now, you can't understand women, women, women. Oh my word, these women, these women. And it's just all a down, down. Well, those are issues you and I got to deal with. That's not Christianity. God doesn't want you going through your life with issues of bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking or whatever it is. What's your, maybe your issue is something that you got a hobby. Maybe your issue is that you're addicted to a silly hobby that's hurting your family. I counseled one couple and their marriage was in trouble and their kids were in trouble. And you know what his issue is? He's addicted to video games. Now, there's not a thing wrong with video games. Not a thing wrong with a video game. You can play video games. You, you, you can. There's nothing wrong with that. But that man spends hours playing video games. Hours. He doesn't talk to his kids. Doesn't talk to his wife. His marriage is in trouble. His home is suffering. His job's suffering. Because that man is addicted to a stupid game. That's an issue. Deal with it. Throw away your PS 5000 or whatever it is. Throw it away. Clean it out. Get, change your issue. Don't let any issue damage your marriage. Don't do it. You got a hobby in your life? That's, that's an issue. Change it. Give up your hobby for the good of your family and your marriage. If you have to, whatever it is, don't let issues, don't let issues hurt your marriage and your home and your family. Don't work too much. That's an issue for you. Some men are married to their job. There's nothing wrong with making money. Nothing wrong with that at all. God gives us the, the, the ability and the gift of wealth, and we are blessed. Some of you men, you're, you're, you're working so hard such long hours, and you don't have to. 
Some of you working so hard because your issue's debt. You're so stinking far in debt that you can't be the husband and wife you ought to be, and debt's your issue. It's debt. You know, you'd be far better to live in a tiny house with no debt, but a happy family, than to live in a multi hundred thousand dollar house and have to work daylight to dark and after dark mom works and dad works and the kid works and everybody's on edge and uptight and bothered and here's this big old beautiful house we live in and not one person in the house is happy who wants to live like that you can drive an older car if you have to if you have to you could nothing wrong with having a new one if you can afford one and it not put any issues in your marriage and family buy a new one Uh, we we drive old ones i got a ford pickup truck with two hundred and sixty thousand miles on it and I got a Ford van with 346,000 miles on it. I got one van in the shop right now. The transmission went out on it. My kids, my older kids, were home alone for a week while we went to a revival. And when I got back home, they said, Oh, Dad, we didn't want to tell you while you were at the meeting, but the car won't go in reverse. And I said, Well, how you been getting to work? They said, We've been driving it. You just have to be careful where you park it. Thought, well, it's true. But I found an old timer down in Pensacola. He's been there 30 some years, little old dirty transmission shop. And he called me the other day. He talks like he's from North Carolina. And he said, Well, I can fix it. I can repair it. He's going to rebuild it, about 1500 bucks probably. And I'll get that van back on the road. It's a lot better than spending 25000 for a new van. Because I have no debt, I mean, I owe for my house. A couple more years, hope to pay that off. But because I have no debt, see, I can travel and preach without the pressure of, well, what if I'm going to a tiny church and they don't meet our needs? I found out a long time ago there's two ways to survive in full-time evangelism. One is to make so much money it doesn't matter what you spend. But that never worked out for me. (laughs) Or you can spend so little it doesn't really matter what you make. That's how we try to live. What, What I'm trying to tell you is, that we've had to deal with that issue. Money is an issue. We've got to deal with it. What's your issue? Now, I'm running out of time. I'm running out of time. And i got just one, one, one or two more here. Uh, look, look in the text again and notice the next verse. Verse 32. It's the last verse. And, now it's connected. Don't be bitter and have wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking and malice. Get that out of your life. And be ye, say the next word. So, here's what we've learned. A happy Christian home is a place that speaks grace. It's a place without issues. And a happy Christian home is a place of, say the word, it's kindness. Now, is that, uh, is that almost, duh? Well, duh. And yet, it's a massive failure in a lot of our life. Are your children kind? How does your son treat his sister? How does your daughters treat their brothers? Do you let your kids roll their eyes and sigh and tear down on each other and rip on each other and be sarcastic with each other? That's not kindness. Someday, someday they'll treat their husband that way and their marriage will suffer because we let them do it. Kindness shows up in the way a husband responds to his wife, doesn't it? How do you respond? Are you kind? Wives, how do you respond to your husband? Are you kind? Would kindness be a word to describe the way you respond, the way you treat each other. Be you kind one to another. Shows up in our speech, doesn't it? Have you noticed how many of these truths in Ephesians 4 are connected to our tongue? That's a big one in the home. 
kindness shows up in the way I speak. I will not allow my children to tear on each other. You won't do it. I'll spank you. You will be kind to each other. If, if, if you can be kind to perfect strangers at a, at a store somewhere, you can be kind to the person you live with. I said it today earlier, so forgive the repetition. But there's something wrong when I'm a gentleman on the job, but a jerk at home. There's something wrong when the secretaries at work think I'm one of the funniest men in the world, but my wife thinks I'm a grouch box. There's something wrong. There's something wrong. Kindness is always Christianity. Do you know that the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13 that love is kind? Would kindness describe you? Teenagers, are you kind? Are you condescending rather? Are you belittling? Are you harsh? Are you you cut on your siblings, on your parents? Do you, you always roll your eyes and sigh? Or are you kind? How about it, grandparents? Are you kind? Sometimes if you're not on guard spiritually as you get older, sometimes you don't feel well. And if you're not walking in the Spirit and growing in the Lord, you, you, you can allow the problems of getting older sometimes to rob you of Christian graces like gentleness and kindness and patience. There was a, when I was a boy and I got saved, there was a lady in the church I attended that had crippling arthritis and I don't know how many years she had been confined to a bed. She couldn't take herself to the bathroom. She couldn't walk. She couldn't get out of her house. They had to bathe her in the bed. She literally was so crippled with her arthritis. And uh, we would go visit her about once every two weeks. The man that led me to Jesus, we would go soul winning on Tuesday nights. We'd go out and knock on doors, talk to me about Jesus. And, and every other Tuesday night, we would drive by her house and have prayer with her. We went to encourage her. But she, instead, encouraged us. One of the most valuable lessons ever learned, I learned from that lady laying in a hospital bed in her, in her, in her little old tiny house in the mountains with her legs all drawn up and her feet twisted in a weird way and her fingers going the wrong direction and all of her, her bones and she could hardly talk. And we'd go in there and, and, and she, she was so full of kindness. Oh, thank you for coming to see me. I've been praying for you. Thank you for coming to see me. Isn't God good? Oh. And, and, and we'd go to pray with her and encourage her, and she'd pray over us. I, I don't know what your situation is in life, but kindness is Christianity. Kindness is Christianity. Did, did, you, did I need to say that again? Are you getting that one? A happy Christian home. One more is a place of forgiveness. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Now here's a big lesson, and let's end on this lesson. It's called forgiveness. Are you married? Let me see your hand again if you're married. How do you survive a marriage? You forgive. You learn to forgive. Uh, kids, you've got to learn to forgive. Forgiveness is vital to the Christian home and the Christian life. It involves a grace factor. 
In other words, what the Bible says here in this passage is what has been shown to me by God, I'm to show to others. How many of you have been forgiven by Almighty God because of your sins? Can I see your hand? That's how I'm to forgive. The way God forgave me, that's how I'm to forgive. You don't know what they did to me, Brother Dave. No, no, but I'm to forgive based on grace. God has forgiven me. I'm to show grace. Is, uh, is it not obvious that God fully forgives? Yeah, but Dave, you don't know my husband. No, he left me a single parent. He left me and we barely have food on the table. Well, that's a jerk thing to do, isn't it? But I'm to forgive. You know why? Because forgiveness frees two people. What we think is, I'm not forgiving them, I'm keeping him on the hook. He owes, I'm keeping him on the hook. And what we don't realize is that when we're unforgiving, he's not the only one on the hook. I am too. And forgiveness is important because forgiveness releases the debt. It's an IOU. They owe you. They did you wrong. That is not minimizing what they did. What they did was wrong. It was wrong. It was absolutely wrong wrong. They owe you. But forgiveness is when I take the I owe you, they owe me, and I put it in the hands of a Savior who has scars in those hands. And I say, Lord, I don't think they're ever going to pay. But I'm not going to stay on that hook. I want to be free of it. You take care of it. I'm trusting you with it. They don't deserve forgiveness, but I didn't either. I'm trusting you, Lord. I, I relinquish them of the debt. They don't owe me anymore. So I'm not going to be in that bondage. There's a grace factor. There's, there's three others. There's a guilt factor. Because Matthew chapter 6 teaches that I forgive because I need forgiveness. You ever read that verse where the Bible says we're to pray, forgive our debtors um, as, as we forgive uh, those who are indebted to us? He, he mentioned several times how that our forgiveness is based on the way we forgive. There's a guilt factor. I'm guilty and in need of forgiveness. And because I'm guilty and in need of forgiveness, then I have to forgive others because the way I forgive others determines how God forgives me. Now that's serious. Are you holding a grudge tonight? In your marriage, is there a grudge? Is there an issue that you've just never gotten over? And yes, I'm putting up with it. We're still together. But that little issue, I will not. You do not know what they said. You do not know what he did. And I won't forgive it. I wouldn't minimize what happened. Forgive me. I'm not minimizing what happens. I'm just telling you that you're suffering for it. You've got to give. You need forgiveness. So Jesus says in Matthew 6, the way you forgive is the way I will forgive. Forgiveness is important. It's a massive, vital truth of Christianity. Then there is a grief factor. You know what the Bible teaches? If I won't forgive, I suffer because of it. The Bible speaks about a root of bitterness that springs up. When we're bothered about an issue, a root of bitterness will spring up and that root of bitterness will defile me and everybody around me. There's a grief factor. And you know what? People that won't forgive can be some of the most unhappy people I've ever met. I've counseled ladies and and men that hold a grudge, that have an issue, and it's a valid issue. Nobody's minimizing the validity of that issue. But the fact of the matter is they're unhappy 
They're eaten alive with a root of bitterness and they're damaged. And the only answer to that is to forgive. And, write this in your heart, there's a gain factor. Because what happens when I forgive, there, there's several things. I, 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 I borrowed these notes from, from a pastor, uh, Adrian Rogers. He said, here's the three things we gain in forgiveness. We gain personal emancipation. I'm set free. I no longer have to carry that burden. I no longer have to hold that debt. You owe me and I'm holding this debt over your head because you better pay up. And I'm holding this against you. That debt will destroy you because there's no way to pay it back. The only thing you can do is release it. I I let it go. I'll bear the burden. I will take responsibility. You're not going to pay it. And I'm not going to spend the the rest of my life bothered because you owe me a debt that you probably will never pay. So when I forgive, there's personal emancipation. I'm set free. There's reconciliation. Sometimes in forgiveness, you gain a brother. In forgiveness, you can have reconciliation. What you thought would never be repaired, what you thought could never be repaired, could be repaired. I have a friend whose wife left him for the music director of their church. She committed adultery. He sang in that guy's choir. And his wife, who also sang in that choir, left her husband and had an affair with the music director of that church. Now the music director got fired. And my friend forgave. Now his marriage is reconciled. What could have been a nasty situation that split apart a home to where the kids were from a divided home and a messed up situation. And and I say this as gently as I know how to say it. Nobody would have blamed him for doing it. And he would have, I think in some places, depending on how you translate some verses or or interpret them, most folks would think he had a right to do it. But instead of taking a right, I'm ending this marriage because of what you did in this matter of fornication. Instead, he forgave. And they have a happy marriage. They have a happy marriage. There was reconciliation. It came because of forgiveness. Forgiveness. There's personal emancipation, reconciliation. And Dr. Adrian Rogers said, there's spiritual jubilation. There's going to be a revival. He said, revival is taking the roof off and getting right with God, but it's also tearing down the walls and getting right with each other. That's good, isn't it? So here's what a happy Christian home looks like. It's what it looks like. It's simply, just very simply, it's a, it's a, place, it's a place that ministers grace and that has issues that we're taking care of. And it's a place of kindness. It's a place of forgiveness. Is there somebody in the building tonight? And, and, and it's going to be hard for you to do, but you need to kneel tonight because there's an issue of bitterness in your life and you've got some forgiveness to pray about. You should do it before we go. Say, Dave, I don't know if I can. Then you ought to pray about that. It's okay, pray about that. God understands. Say, God, I don't know if I can forgive or not. And if I'm going to, you're going to have to help me. Pray about it. Just be honest. You can tell God anything. Did you know that? You bothered? Go tell God you're bothered. It's not like he doesn't know. So go tell him. Share it with God. Get on your knees tonight 
and say, Lord, you know, here's a little issue in my life. I, I need to take care of this issue so I can have a happy home and a happy marriage and succeed. Now, I told you this morning, I'm not sharing anything with you that's wow. I wish I could give you something that's deeper that would make you leave going, wow, Brother Young is really, really an intelligent man. But instead, I'm just opening the Bible tonight and saying, you know what, the Bible says this right here. She better apply it to your marriage and your life and your home and your family. And the Bible says this right here. She better apply it to your life and your marriage and your home and your family. And you know what I've discovered in my own life? That every time I do, my marriage and my life and my home and my family, we grow in the Lord. There's joy and there's peace and there's happiness and it's just great. 